Understanding that weird book of Revelation, this is part 29. There'll be next Sunday night and the one after, and we'll finish Revelation. We'll finish Hebrews. We'll finish the book of Revelation. Heaven, what it will be like, how to get there. And I'm going to read uh, Revelation 21, 27 verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So it's a city and it's a bride. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold... The dwelling place of God is with man. So the direction here is downward. It's not us going to be with him. It's him coming to dwell with us. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. So this is different from John 14. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again to receive you to myself. Us going to be with him. This is him coming to be with us. Four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making, I am making all things new. Here's creation again. I'm making everything new. He had creation at the beginning, now new creation. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, it hasn't happened yet. John is seeing this in the future. New creation isn't here yet, but John sees this vision where it gets all done and finished. It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Grace. You can't, this isn't something you earn or buy or achieve. Seven, the one who conquers. So there's still a, a, a conquering here. The, the one who conquers will have this heritage. You can't buy it with payment. It's grace, and yet there's still a conquering involved. That's interesting to me. The one who conquers, verse 7, will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. Now we see a little bit of what this conquering might entail. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the, detest the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I talked about that last week quite a bit. Nine, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven last plagues. And he spoke to me saying, so you get this interruption in the action for a minute. And he says, come, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Okay, he's going to show the bride, the wife of the lamb. What's he, so what, what will he see? Ten, he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. So I'm going to show you the bride of the Lamb. And then he shows them 
holy Jerusalem coming down. Out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had great high wall, 12 gates at the gates, 12 angels. On the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. The wall of the city had 12 foundations. On them were the 12 names of the apostles. So you have, you have the tribes of Israel and you have the apostles. I'll talk about that in a minute. And the one who spoke to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. Measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also the angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. Gold isn't clear, but it's a vision that he's seen. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. So you have jasper, sapphire, emerald, uh, onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysosophase, jacinth, amethyst. 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. Those are some big pearls. And the city of the street was pure gold, transparent as glass. I saw no temple. That's significant. This is not about the restructuring of Israel's temple and people coming to Israel's temple again. That's never going to happen. It was never God's intention. And in New Jerusalem, he makes it clear. There's no temple. We're done with the temple. No more sacrifices. Jesus said it's finished. I know that conflicts with a lot that people have learned under dispensationalism, the idea that God always has these two people that he's working with through the end time. I just think it's such a blatant distortion of what the New Testament teaches. But you have the Left Behind novels and you have Hal Lindsey and it's, there's just no stopping it. I saw no temple in the city. This temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there, and they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We looked at, there were four points in last week's lesson, but primarily two, two teaching points. The first was we, we talked about the new creation. This idea that God is going to, uh, there's creation, decreation in the fall, the whole history of redemption, and it will end in new creation. The end is not when I die and I go to be with Jesus and you people go out to the cemetery and bury me. That's not the end of the story. That is not the blessed hope that my spirit goes to be with Jesus and my body is in the grave. That's incompleteness. Paul talks about that and he calls it incompleteness. It's gain. It's better than life now. It's conscious. It's in the presence of the Lord. But it's not the end of the game. The end of the game is all these bodies will be raised. There will be a new heaven, new earth, new creation. We talked about that for for quite a while, where, where the very first verse, I saw new heaven and a new earth, 
for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and, and there was no more sea. So we, we looked at that for, for quite a while. The second thing I talked about last week, and I'll talk about it a bit more, this holy city, this new Jerusalem, is, it's the bride of Christ. It's not a temple. It's not a city. It's not in Palestine. It's not in the Middle East. That's not what he's talking about. That should be clear from, and I read these verses last week, but if you've got the text in front of you, in verses 2, 3, and 4, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Then you see it in verse in verse. Um, Nine, And then, he, then came one of these seven angels who had seven bowls full of the last seven plagues. He spoke to me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And we know who that is. Because in 19, chapter 19, verses 6, 7, and 8. John says, then I heard what seemed to be like the voice of a great multitude. Like the roar of many waters like the sound of, of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. So we, this new Jerusalem, it's the bride being prepared for the Lamb. Chapter 19, we know who the bride is. It's these people who have been redeemed and they're worshiping the Lord from all tongues and tribes and nations. It's not just Jews. There's that fly again. So we considered predominantly those two truths last week. I have two more. Two more that I want to look at tonight. So this would be point three and four. Is that how your notes are numbered? Your study notes? Okay, three. Anticipating future glory while we struggle here on earth. So verses 5 to 8. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and and sulfur. So, So the attention in these verses, it seems to shift back to John and his situation on on Patmos. Um, Everything isn't new for John. He's, he's suffering. So write this down, the angel says, for these words are trustworthy and true, verse 5. The emphasis seems to be on, uh, it's on building faith in people who are not yet in the new creation, and that's you, and that's me. And there are things that we suffer. Um, so building faith in the hearers of these words. The idea here is God is is, uh, totally incapable of failing 
in the ongoing enterprise of creating this new creation process. See verse 5? Behold, I am, making, I am making all things new. John doesn't see any of that. He sees it in vision. But he doesn't see it in his circumstances. He's being punished for doing nothing more than loving and proclaiming Jesus in a way that you and I can't imagine. And so, and so Jesus is, is the one who is going to make all things new. He's the source the proof. He's the proof of the reality of a new physical creation. How? Why Jesus? Can you think of why, why it doesn't say Father God or the Holy Spirit? Why specifically Jesus, I make all things new, you can trust that I will make all things new? And the reason is, in a way none of the other members of the Godhead are, Jesus is a part of the new creation. He has a resurrected body like you will have one day. And so when John sees Jesus saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Beginning, end. Old creation, new creation. Do you see it? Why should we listen to him? Because he's standing there in a resurrected new creation body. John The new creation is a reality that you can bank on. How do I know? Because you're looking at it. You're looking at it. This is is the direction everything is going. Let me just, this isn't in your notes. Um, It is so easy to forget about this idea of a new creation and how to relate it to where we live right now. If, if, if you start to view the Christian life as this list of demands from God, rules, do these things, and we call that holiness. If you start to view it that way, you can live like that. But it's much smaller than the New Testament intends. The idea is... I am to start now, I am to start now as uh, an outpost of the ethics, the lifestyle of the coming new creation. So, So that when God calls me to holiness and obedience and sacrifice and whatever else he may call me to, it's not just a list of rules. He's saying, this is where everything's going. New creation. You can keep living your old way, but there is no future in it. There's a new creation coming. And I am calling you, the church, the bride, I am calling you to demonstrate the ethics of a new creation before the new creation gets here so people will look at you and say, oh, this is where it's all going. So it's not just God... Wanting us under his thumb, do this, do this, do this. Why? Because I said so. It's the ethic of a new creation coming. It's where everything is going. Start living the way the new creation will be designed. Start that now. And you flag the rest of the world to what is passing away and what is coming as new. Is it, is it an accident? Paul says, you're a new creation in Christ. 
is not just a list of new demands. There's the start of where this is all going, when Jesus will come and rule and reign, and he wants to demonstrate that in our lives presently, our lives now. So he says, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega. So those terms, Alpha, Omega, start, finish, creation, new creation, each is as certain as the other. They are both bound up in him. The new creation is not a long shot. It's a certainty. It's already begun in the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. We don't enter it fully yet, but we're starting to flesh out what's going to be the ultimate reality in this universe. We begin participation in the new creation now, a new kingdom ethic, a new devotion to Jesus as Lord of all. These people living all around here, they don't see Jesus as Lord of all. How are they going to know? They might read their Bibles, they might not, but they'll look at you. They'll look at the parking lot on Sunday. What, what are those people doing? Why don't they spend their money the way I spend mine? What would make them keeping sacrifice for missions when they don't get a tax receipt in 10 years? Well, they're part of a new creation. <laughs> it's a new order. Paul says, Romans eight twenty one: creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. You look at verses 7 and 8 of chapter 21. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I mentioned that. It's free, but there's still a conquering involved. And he talks about the cowardly, the faithless. These aren't all immoral people. Cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars. Well, there's the second death, the lake of fire. So... John is reminded of what he already knows. Before the glories of the end, there will be persecution. There will be these bowls. The seven bowls of God's wrath are going to be poured out. There'll be trial for serious followers of the Lamb. We talked about the reproach of Christ in the last two Sunday mornings from Hebrews. People will feel that. You'll experience it. Only the courageous and the faithful will overcome. And there's this echo it's an echo of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. I don't know how much longer you'll be able to read these verses legally in Canadian churches. So hear them now. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. All right, point number four. There is this description of the new Jerusalem 
the people of God. I won't read it again, but it's in 9 right through 27. It's a long passage. I think the important point that I want you to take home is the new Jerusalem isn't a city and it isn't a building. It's the body of Christ. It's the bride of the Lamb, as John has so clearly stated in 21.2, 21.9, chapter 19 as well. And the angel says, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, 21.9. And immediately what John sees, what the angel shows him, is this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. So I take that to be a description, a symbolic description of the body of Christ. He's already said it's the bride of Christ. It's the New Testament people of God. It's the bride of the Lamb. It's the church. Now he sees it but he sees it in picture form. It's not this sea of people that he saw earlier rejoicing and praising for the shed blood of the Lamb. It's not that. He sees the same thing, but in a different kind of vision. He sees this cube, and it's perfectly symmetrical, and it includes everybody. And you'll notice that it's got the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. Don't you think that's significant? If, if what I'm saying is true, and this new Jerusalem really is a picture of the church, the bride of Christ, and John means to include the, the whole of God's redemptive scope in the body of Christ. So you have, you have the, the 12 tribes of Israel, and you have the 12 apostles, and you have the voice of the nations coming in. The details show the the beauty, the, the jewels, the gold, the vastness. This cube measuring about 1,500 miles per side. The symmetry, the completeness. And in the middle you have this description. I'll, I'll read these verses. 21, 12, 13, and 14. It had a great high wall with 12 gates. And the gates... 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel on three gates the east gates on the north three gates the south three gates the west three and then the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles and John he means for us to see this new Jerusalem the church as being it's the fulfillment of all the scriptural dispensations. It's God's finished work. Paul says in Ephesians, there aren't two people now and there never will be. There's one person in Christ. Jew, Gentile, all the nations, all who put faith and trust in Christ. They're part of this new Jerusalem. It's not the old Jerusalem. There's no temple in the new Jerusalem. It's the Lamb who is the light and the focus in the new Jerusalem. Those Old Testament era saints were looking forward to the hope of the coming of the Lamb and their participants with those who have been blessed to witness his death and resurrection and second coming glory. It's for all of them. And then, 21.7, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Does that not seem like a strange verse to you? It does to me. Because it, it seems to start out talking about our personal responsibility. 
Like what we do really matters. And then it seems to finish saying only those whose names are written in the book of life. And you read the verse and you want to say, which is it? Is, is it? is it my avoiding doing things that are unclean because unclean people will never enter it? Or is it just my having my name written in the book of life? And the answer is yes. Because John on Patmos, the angel as the angel speaks, and a verse I'm going to show you in just a minute, they all recognize a reality that the church has long forgotten. Anyone who says, I have faith in Jesus Christ, if that person means what the New Testament means by faith, then they will be serving him. Not flawlessly. They'll need his redemptive grace like you do, like I do on a daily basis. But, but their hearts, if they believe in Jesus, they have faith the way John is talking about it. It can't be just, you know, my parents took me to church and I remember some of those Bible stories and, you know, I, I vote for Jesus. It can't be that. It can't be just acknowledging he exists. There's a faith results in a life. Like faith works in, in your heart the way electricity works in these lights. Like it makes something happen. Here's the verse I want to close with. It's in John 3.36. Do you all have it in there? Do you have John 3.36 in your notes? Here's how it reads. I want you to, and tell me what you notice. Listen to each word and tell me what you notice when I'm done reading it. I'm going to ask you. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Did you catch it? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And I would expect him to say, and whoever doesn't believe in the Son doesn't have eternal life. But it's not what he does. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life. I've told you this before. I, I have all sorts of people that I talk to, try and talk to, people who quit going to church, people who walk away from Jesus, and you talk to them, and they'll still say they believe in Jesus. Almost always they'll say something. They're living with someone, common law or, or whatever they're doing, and they'll just say, ah, but I want you to know I still believe in Jesus. And I, and I usually say something. It's just lately that I've figured this out. It takes me a while. And now I'll say something that surprises them. I'll usually look at them and say, I couldn't care less. Pastor John, I believe in Jesus. I couldn't care less. What I usually say is, do, do you believe everything Jesus said? That's what I usually ask them. Believing in Jesus has come to mean he exists or existed. I'll say, do you believe what Jesus believed? Do you believe what Jesus said about immorality? Do you believe what Jesus said about covetousness? Do you believe what Jesus said about this and this and that? And they'll say, well, no. I said, well, you don't believe in Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus at all. Why don't you just come out and at least be honest enough to admit it? 
Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever does not obey will not see life, but, but the wrath, I don't know of scarier words. I don't know what the Brian Zons do with and the Greg Boyds do with this, but the wrath of God abides on. If we ever have an urgent task, it's waking people up to what believing in Jesus means. Don't we? That's our task. Let's pray together.